Hey, Rose, do you ever call up Royally Obsessed on Alexa? It's one of the easiest ways to listen to the pod. You can hear our latest episode every week there, thanks to Amazon Music, which has a full catalog of podcasts, including Royally Obsessed. All you have to do is say, Alexa, play Royally Obsessed on Amazon Music. Oh, no, mine is listening to me say that right at this moment. <laughs> a royal reminder, new episodes drop every Thursday. Tune in on Amazon Music. Now on to the show. Please rise for their majesties of Royally Obsessed, the podcast for all things royals. Stand by! Three cheers for Her Majesty the Queen! This is Royally Obsessed, the podcast for all things royal. I'm Roberta. I'm Rachel. We're wearing matching stripes. We're matching today, which this wasn't planned. But I didn't text you. It was unplanned. We're just both very, like, retin-top. It's it's amazing that we are in separate locations and this happened. Turtleneck with blue and white stripes. Yeah, we're we're totally channeling Kate this morning, but or or Megan pre pre royal days. I feel like she wore a couple of Breton tops or any Brit. I feel like the Breton stripe. My goodness, we have a lot coming up today, especially an exciting interview with Samir Hussein, Getty photographer. What else are we talking about, Rachel? We have Cambridge puppy flashbacks. The new princess stock, which I got a lot of DMs about. I want to talk about that. The queen's trip to Sandringham ahead of the official marker of 70 years on the throne. We need like a wow. sound effect there. And like you yeah. said, a chat with Samir Hussein. So <laughs> a lot coming up. But first, as always. And now it's time for the weekly royal cocktail. We're sipping for our royal refreshment. So I, I'm not one of those people that does dry January. Do you do dry January? No, 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 no. I can't. It's too hard. And I applaud anyone who does who's listening. You guys are amazing. You have incredible willpower. I'm not one of those people. But this wine that we tried, Fitvine Wines, is actually a good pivot if you want to do something that's a little bit lighter because it has around half the sulfates compared to traditional wines and 100 calories, which is in a lot less sugar. That's a big, big thing is a lot less sugar. So yeah, I love the taste. It tastes just like you know any other wine to me. So Fitvine Wines is a good option if you're not doing dry January. Yeah, it's true. I actually sipped uh, cracked open a bottle uh, of the Cabernet Sauvignon on Saturday night and proceeded to spill it all over my couch accidentally. I just no. like I just like clipped the edge. Like I was going to put it on the table, my glass, and it was the first glass for the record. And I just like spattered it, but not only on my couch on the two throw blankets behind like on the back and it was just like Rachel. no in slow motion it was a very devastating <laughs> moment and the thing is if it had been reversed if like my husband had done it I would have been like what did you do but instead it was me so I had to like just be like <gasps> okay and but I found um rubbing alcohol and wait what color is your couch it's gray and then their throw blankets oh. were beige so For some um, reason I thought you had a green couch see no. when that would happen and it was my fault I would I would somehow find a way that it <laughs> wasn't my fault. I was like, well, why did you put the glass right there? You should have moved it. I mean, I basically deflected all blame, but then I did find that rubbing alcohol and white vinegar and then a couple mm. washes in the washing machine saved the throw blankets and the couch for the most part. So it all worked out in the end, but it was just like a slow motion fit vine wine moment, which I also really loved. Not to you put the blame on fit vine wines. <laughs> when I see it next in the stores, is that spray that gets red wine out of anything. Oh, good call. You know what I'm talking about? There's that little yeah. tiny spray bottle that's I amazing. have seen that. Does yeah. it work? Okay, I'll send it to you. Yes, it. 
I I mean, I don't even know the brand. This cannot possibly be SpawnCon, but like it is, I swear by it. I swear okay. by it. it gets, I can't it gets wait. Everything. I'm the most clumsy person. I spill wine all the time. So, um, but Rachel, how are you while we're sitting? I'm good. I'm good. I was going to say I needed to mention the fact that I was back in Books Are Magic, my favorite local bookstore in Brooklyn, and our book was prominently on display. And it was such a highlight of my weekend. I was not there for that reason this weekend, but I was super pumped just to see it. It like gives me a rush every time. I'm so proud of us. Yes. (laughs) I am too. I am too. And hopefully we'll get there soon to be together. You're doing well though. You're back in Philly. Yeah, back in Philly. I had a quick stop in Atlanta to see friends and that was amazing. And yeah, so everything everything's good. And um I'm hoping we can get together, like I said, to sign some books. We're going to make it happen. I can't wait. Yep. All right. Well, a listener email that is a total delight from Sharon this week. She wrote in and it made me smile because she said that we sounded a bit melancholy last week because <laughs> of the news, a little womp womp. It was like, Andrew, Prince Harry's security. Yeah. Heavier topics. Understandably. Yeah, so. understandably. So she wanted to share a Diana anecdote, which always gives us a pick-me-up, and I wholeheartedly agree. So she said, growing up, I loved Diana so much, I would spend hours cutting pictures from magazines and pasting them into scrapbooks. So 80s. In 1983, Diana and Charles were visiting Ballarat, and my mom took me out of school to drive the about 400-kilometer round trip to Ballarat, where coincidentally, I now live. I lined up in the bridge mall and excitedly waited among the crush of people, just missing out on shaking Charles's hand and spotting Diana across the street. I'd been too excited and crushed for photos. Little did I know that our neighbor had also been to Ballarat and she had waited at the train station to meet them when they arrived. You can imagine my excitement when she presented me with these two photos, taken with ye old camera with film and obviously with a desperation to get the snap. Hence, Diana is just a tad blurry. I thought you would like them too. I find a little bit of Diana always gives you a pep in your step. Sharon, I totally agree. That line made me laugh out loud. It does. Diana does give us a pep in our step, right, Roberta? And the photos are actually so incredible. Like she mentions taken with film, but they do look like really high quality. And Diana's wearing this incredible bright blue pillbox, not pillbox hat, but small little hat with met. Uh, with netting, mesh netting, and then a quilted jacket, which feels very 2021. So these photos did brighten our day. I just threw a couple links in the chat for you, Roberta, because I went on, I was like down, just so fascinated by seeing these pics and not recognizing this event as prominently as some that we've other also right. seen. So I went to Getty to kind of cross check from 1983. And so you can see the outfit in more detail. And also that beautiful shot of Diana in this kind of carriage set up with Charles. Oh, that's cute. And they just look they're smiling so at each in other. love, actually. It's yeah. a very kind of silly, fun pick, and it's nice to see those moments from the beginning of their marriage. Incredible to see candid shots from our listeners. So that is really, really cool. Thank you for the note. All right. Yes, thank you, Sharon. Moving on. This week in royal history. And now, this week in royal history. We're flashing back just one year to January 23rd, 2021. 
which might not ring any bells for our intense royal watchers, but it's actually the date that the Cambridges announced via the news that they have a new puppy. It was officially announced in the mail on Sunday, and they wrote, the eight-month-old black puppy was a gift from the Duchess's brother, James Middleton, and arrived at Anmer Hall, the family's home in Norfolk, before Lupo died. The new puppy is adorable, and the whole family are besotted, a friend told the mail on Sunday. I love that word, besotted. Just a quick interjection. I know. <laughs> and they had that really heartbreaking announcement about Lupo passing away in November. So this was such a bright spot after that. We know that Lupo is the new puppy's uncle and that James Middleton was the gift giver for both, which what a great brother connection to have. It's also a dog breeder. I wish yeah, he's got your back. It's like, he's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So the puppy appeared in that 10th anniversary video. We're pretty sure, pretty sure, because that was the assumption. Yes, but that would have made the video pretty old. So we think that that was the new puppy. And I just wanted to call out that the queen might have a new dog now. This was this broke last week that the queen has a cocker spaniel now. That's named Lissy in honor of the queen. Its actual name was Wolferton Drama, and it's a prize-winning cocker. Wait, that's Cocker the breed Spaniel. or that's the name? Wolferton no, Drama. No, that was the name, Wolferton Drama. Um, because it's like a, co- a competition dog, like a show oh, dog. They have those it, kinds of it. names, I guess. It's four years old. So it's not, you know, it's not a brand new puppy. Thank goodness it's potty trained because the queen obviously probably doesn't want to deal with that or whatever. But so it's named Lissy. And uh, I just can't, you know, Rachel, that the bane of my existence is wanting to know the Cambridge's dog's name. I know, because we still don't have it. It's wild. We still don't have Why doesn't anyone at these events ask them? I just need to know. I know. And we did have that recent dog event this past week where Kate showed up. And I, I loved her sort of acknowledgement of the fact that the name of the dog, who we still don't have, waiting at home, would be sort of flummoxed by what she returned smelling like, right? Because she was so, you know, touching that And that dog. she coordinated her outfit with the dog. So yes. she jokes about both of those things. So here's that clip. <laughs> That's what happened. You heard it all. So, how old is he? 10 weeks. Two days. All these people. Our dog is going to be outside. She's going to be like, what have you been? Absolutely. I love that. It's she quickly, it's hard to kind of hear, but she says, my our dog is going to be very upset. She's going to be like, where have you been? Where have you been? And then she, in the beginning, she goes, you match my coat, which was really I cute, love your accent. Actually. Yeah. <laughs> I try to copy her posh accent. They also coordinated much like us. Yeah. But it is interesting, Rachel, that around this time, like, why is there a fluff piece about the Cambridge puppy in the mail on Sunday? And it's interesting to think about the context of that time. So we had, you know, the first ever episode of Archival Audio launching a month prior. We also had uh, Tom Bradby, these news reports. I had to look back a year ago and see what was ha- like bubbling up in the royal sphere. And Tom Bradby was saying that Harry is heartbroken by what's going on with his family. So that was kind of a big story, too. We know that the press operates with this invisible contract, that there is always this kind of give, push, pull kind of mechanisms going on behind the scenes. So I just thought it'd be interesting to look back. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, no, I think that it is. It's like this was all pre-Oprah. You know, there was a lot going on sort of unknown to all of us about why, you know, we were still kind of contemplating the separation with the Sussexes being here. We weren't vaccinated. There was a lot 
I, I keep thinking about the fact that it was right after the first episode of Archwell Audio, and we've been seeing this week that they are hiring. So it sounds like something is going to happen with that, Roberta. Like, we've all yeah. been kind of waiting. We're really eager to have Megan and Harry back in our ears, and they posted this week that they're looking for a team of three producers to work on a new weekly show for Archwell Audio that will feature high-profile women. And the responsibilities are that they need to prep the host for recordings, have experience working with high-profile talent, with an interest in the intersection of social activism and p- popular culture. So at first, I was kind of ignoring that news. Like, I was like, oh, like, it's not going to be that insightful. But then I started thinking, like, gosh, what is this show going to be? Like, what kind of guests they're going to have? Do you, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I thought about applying just <laughs> I mean, our producer. <laughs> that was the only thing I the resume, yeah. <laughs> and then I was like, I don't think they'll hire someone that has really obsessed on the rest. <laughs> I know. But you never know. You never know. Listeners, but I was like, to- maybe it will be like Michelle Obama, Stacey Abrams, like Gloria Steinem type of guests. Like I would absolutely love to hear Harry or Megan love. trading off interviewing those types of people. So Oprah. I mean, Oprah. I feel like she <laughs> owes them one. The she, yeah. <laughs> she owes them one for sure. Can inter- so. They can interview her. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So lots to, lots to look forward to, I feel like, with this. So... And one more Cambridge update before we get into our main feature news story of the day, which is uh, that Kate Middleton stepped out today for an event for Shout, which is that mental health texting service. It's a big milestone she's marking. It's one million texts sent to Shout, which is huge ever since it started along with their or as part of their, I should say, Heads Together campaign that was started with Harry and Megan as well and William and Kate. So. I mean, the only thing to there's not much to say here except that the leopard print dress is just yeah. Incredible. I like Chef's the belted kiss. yeah. And she kind of blends mm-hmm. into the couch in a couple of those photos. More monochromatic, <laughs> accidental monochromatic dressing for her. <laughs> yeah, first it was the dog, now the couch. Yeah. All right, Rachel, the documentary we've all been waiting for, the Princess Doc. I want to talk about it. I know you haven't watched it yet. We're going to be hearing a lot about this. It's set to come out, I believe, nationwide in the spring and summer, and. I was able at the last second, thanks to my husband, who tipped me off that you could buy a $20 ticket because the Sundance Film Festival was virtual. You could watch it within a small window. Like it was the one of the premiere films. So you you could watch it at two set times. And once you activated it, you only had a handful of hours to watch it. So it was right. a very controlled, it wasn't like you had carte blanche to see it whenever. But anyways, this documentary, it's directed by Ed Perkins. It's all about Princess Diana. I sat down to watch it. I was convinced that there would be no nothing new, right? We've had so mm-hmm. much. It's like oversaturation of Diana mm-hmm. content, but I was blown away. I was really impressed. I think that what felt like such a welcome point of view here is that we've had so many fictional accounts, right? We've had The Crown. We've had Spencer. We had Diana the musical briefly there that are all telling yeah. Diana's story, but this is a documentary that uses news footage and home video footage from events as they played out in real time from the moment that Diana entered the public stage kind of with her engagement to Charles up through her death. Yeah, the home video aspect is really interesting because that's something we definitely haven't seen Mm -hmm. before in that. I I can't imagine them trying to collect that from the like that's just research that research team is incredible. Roberta, I think that that was what was the most staggering to me was I this footage is so much that I've never seen before. And also just hearing kind of the 
the hot mic situations of the reporters. And I think that the takeaway is really what you're left with. What feels really heavy is that watching this with hindsight makes it all the more gut-wrenching because Mm. it's like everything that we, I mean, this could have been called the princess and the press, right? It's called the princess, but it really is about that relationship that we know what ultimately led to Diana's death. So seeing it play out in this way and hearing the side comments from the media, all of that stuff kind of makes it that much more, you know, like, could we have seen this coming? We didn't, but it's like, it's just that whole thing that hindsight is easy. It will come out to the public, right? Yeah, it will come out to the public. I think that the things that, you know, I don't want to go into it and give much away, but I just think, again, it's like to have it give context when we've seen so much of these accounts, that is what felt really grounding to me when I watched it is that you're seeing everything almost in a chron. It it is in a chronological order. So you're getting like the Martin Bashir interview. You're getting the christening moments where Diana was um, remember, we've we've all heard that she was really upset that William was crying. She had to do that photo with the mm, queen yeah, mother yeah, yeah. and all that stuff. Yep. And, and you get to see the real footage of what actually happened. Wow. But I think what's what's hard is that you also hear these side conversations. So it's like at the wedding, you hear the media reporters without knowing the exact outlets. You hear them say, man, if I knew this was the angle, I wouldn't have bothered to turn up or there's Diana Ugh. at the Taj Mahal, you know, that iconic photo that she took solo. And then there's another shot of her just off in the distance sitting alone on a not a uh, iconic bench, but a, alone on a bench. And the media, the reporters off camera are saying, what is she doing there? And then they're like, she's thinking about our marriage. Like, there's just a <gasps> lot of stuff that it feels wow. like was very foreboding. You know, it's like no one had a crystal ball in terms of what was going to play out. But it seems like everyone kind of knew without knowing. It's fascinating. Yeah, that is fascinating. And I cannot wait to watch. So it's spring and summer of this year. Mm -hmm. It really is quite remarkable. And I think one of my favorite things that you and I have always talked about on the podcast is just the fact that Diana's sense of humor just is often what gets lost in the edit. You know, it's Mm -hmm, like you really mm -hmm. don't see that. I think in Tom Jennings documentary, he was really great at capturing those little moments, but even lightly compared to this one where like Diana, there's footage of her at the AIDS hospital in this when she Mm -hmm. was visiting. And you know, we were so familiar with those iconic handshakes, but I feel like in this, you really see her making so many jokes and kind of having just very humorous, sarcastic facial expressions that put people at ease. And I think that that really comes across in this documentary. So yeah, that's what um, another, I think it was Elizabeth Emanuel in an interview said that the crown got wrong too, is that she wasn't as funny and as lighthearted and humorous as the mm-hmm. real princess was. And the same goes for Spencer. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we've heard that a bunch of times and that Diana's friends were really upset about that portrayal as well. Yeah. But it, but I will say this is like the takeaway thought starter that is I'm grappling with. And I think like you were kind of like, oh, I don't know if I want to see this because I to- and I totally see why after watching because it's really it puts emotional. Well, Did it's emotional. I, I cried. I definitely cried. I mean, I think yeah. it's one of those things where the buildup is always this happened in real time, right? So then it's like July 97. She's really coming into her own. And it's almost like you watch and you're like, God, I don't want, I mean, obviously none of us want August 1997 to happen. And, but I think just the juxtaposition of seeing how the best was yet to come. And she was really just about to just explode. Like on the precipice of something amazing. Of so much greatness for her own, like, you know, she was really in her own skin at that point, comfortable and all of that stuff. I think that it's like, a bad movie when you watch it where you're like, no, 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 don't play that scene. You know, I don't I don't want like that to happen. It ends the wrong way. It ends yeah. the wrong way. Uh, I felt really sad. But I think that what I walked away with is just also like 
you know, the the big question that a lot of the reviews are talking about is just like, what does our own gaze project onto the royals that we worship? Like, are we yeah. projecting the fairy tale onto them or is it the actual fairy tale? And I think that's right. a big part of the documentary. So, whew, and what is our sobering. culpability? Yeah. All right, moving on. Let's get to our conversation with Samir. We're very excited. All right, we're here with photographer Samir Hussein. It's his second time on the podcast. Welcome back, Samir. Great to be back. Thank you. So you all know probably, but just as a refresher, he's an award-winning photographer for Getty Images who's photographed the royal family for the last 15 years. He's also the man behind that iconic photo of Meghan and Harry under an umbrella at one of their very last engagements as senior working royals and his new photo exhibit, Princess Diana Accredited Access Exhibition, is now open in L.A. and Chicago. You can buy tickets online at princessdianaexhibit.com. So, Samir, we wanted to ask, we know this exhibition is kind of a family affair. So your dad, Anwar, and your brother, Zach, are also royal photographers, and they're involved with this. And together, now confirm this for me, you guys have photographed the royals for over 40 years altogether? Yes. Well, I think my dad started for even even longer than that, I think. That's he goes, amazing. yeah, like 40, 50 years even, maybe. Incredible. So, yeah. And, and what compelled you guys to kind of do this together what why now why princess diana well as i said my dad has been photographing well photographed princess diana from from when she first came onto the scene really i mean he he, he was photographing her before she came on so he was photographing um prince charles for years before diana came onto the scene and then photographed her whole career from when she first got together with charles right until right until the end and he's never really told his his story before and he's I think it's something he's always wanted to do he's waiting for been waiting for the right time for the right thing he's in his his 80s now and um we've always wanted to do something as a family we've always wanted to bring together our our pictures we always thought oh it'd be a great idea to put together an exhibition um but we got approached by um these entertainment execs that we had a good relationship with in in the states and they thought it um they thought it was a great idea to to pull together all our pictures um around the subject of diana and and her legacy um and they had some they had some great ideas they wanted to turn it into this sort of the first ever walk through documentary so very different from um from other exhibitions we loved their ideas of having sort of larger than life um prints the the size of the prints sort of eight foot tall um so to really show off our pictures um yeah and this 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 seemed like the perfect opportunity and for my dad to to tell so many of the untold stories that haven't been heard before about um his relationship with diana and photograph and diana and of course this bringing in uh, my brother and me and our experiences of photographing william and kate so the whole sort of legacy of of diana really yeah, we love that you kind of tell a bunch of different royal stories in the same exhibition that's ma- mainly focused on Diana, but also on other royals. And without giving too much away, because we obviously want people to go and see the exhibit, but can you tell us what you hope visitors will take away once they visit the exhibition? 
I mean, it's been going for it's been going for just over a, a month now in in LA and Chicago, um, and the the feedback has just been amazing. I've heard reports of people being in in, in tears going around seeing it. I think wow. it just gives. Um, as I said, it's like the way we've sort of put it all together is it is like a, a walkthrough documentary. And we've tried to give kind of insider feeling of a documentary that we can from from photographing the royals um, so extensively. And this this is the first time my dad has shared some of these stories. And we've got some real some real emotion emotional moments. There's never told before stories from from Dana's life about photographing her and, and and the stories of, you know, his relationship with her and how he got on really well with her. Um, and on top of that, you've got stories from me and Zach about photographing William and Harry. Um, and this is all told through um, an audio guide that you have as you go around the exhibition. There's, there's, there's different sections, there's seven different um, sections. So it's all created by a storyline. We've got all these different themes such as motherhood and growing up we've got um, a section on fashion on the humanitarian side and we're telling our story it's narrated by my brother Zach and myself so we're telling we're telling the story um, and then you've got I think it's 100, 140 images and what I particularly love about it is the way um, the the creators have brought together some some great photo comparisons between Diana her children um Kate and Megan and and their children as well and it just all fits together really nicely so we're yeah we're really proud of it and we're we're so excited it's out there and we're people are going to see it and the feedback's been been amazing well we know it was supposed to debut in New York this month and that's on hold for now we're waiting we are so excited we're really hoping it still makes it here but we were able to get a virtual sneak peek so thank you for that and we wanted to ask you about in particular you're talking about the connections between the different members of the royal family, the different generations, that photo wall of Megan, Kate, and Diana right when you walk in and those larger-than-life images. Was there a reason stylistically that you wanted to bring those three women together as you enter? Well, I think, um, you know, Diana's influence is, is, is so vast. You know, you talk about her, her influence as a mother, how, how she sort of changed so much in the, in the royal scene by, by being a mother. Obviously, she's, she's a, a fashion icon, um, her humanitarian side has been, I think, a huge influence on um, on both Kate and Meghan, and I think you can see that in their in in their in their royal life from from the way they are very both both um, Kate and Meghan, for example, are very tactile. They will go and give people hugs. Just the way they're they're bringing up their children, and this exhibition. Um, I think brings this all together and shows these, you know, that Diana's Diana's legacy and her her influence on um, on these two women. So I think um, that that was quite an integral part, really, of of the exhibition and and just just nice comparisons about how she's influenced and how they're sort of continuing her legacy and and, and William and Harry as well, of course. I know the Queen's daughter-in-laws. They're so uh, impactful. I think just seeing them on that wall and everything is is very um, poignant. Yeah. Granddaughter-in-laws. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Daughter-in-law. Granddaughter-in-law and daughter-in-law. <laughs> Samir, do you have a f- ultimate all-time favorite photo that's a part of the exhibition? Um, oh, that's hard. Um, I really like some of the ones of um, some really tender moments between Harry and William. There's a there's a number of them in the ex, in the exhibition of when um, from 
tours that they've been on together and, and, and just joking at the moment. Of course, now with them sort of living sort of separate lives in different countries and stuff, it's sort of nice to look back and see that, you know, they are, they are still brothers and there is still, there's always going to be some kind of relationship between them. And yeah, I just like those, you know, with everything that's going on at the moment, I just like seeing those things that shows what, what close brothers they were and hopefully still are. Um, yeah, so there's a few, there's a few pictures um, from that. And then, of course, the, uh, you know, a, a personal favourite of, a, a, again, is the um, picture of Harry and, and Meghan walking through the rain, which you guys referred to earlier. Yeah. Um, that's um, shown really big at, at the end of the exhibition alongside um, what is, what Dana said was her favourite um, photo of herself, which, um, which, which my dad took. So that's sort of that's sort of the end of the exhibition, which brings it really nice. And it's just, yeah, it's just, it's just amazing to see when you see it. See which it one is big. the one that, that she said was her favorite? Which one is that? The favorite of her? There's what, there's a picture taken in, um, in, in Pakistan where she's, she's holding a, a blind child and she's just holding, holding him very close. And oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And, you mentioned that narration and you kind of give some of these background stories about some of the photos you've taken. And so I wanted to ask you about one in particular. There's a trip that Harry and William took to Lesotho. Can you tell us about that photo in particular? Yeah, sure. So this is sort of when I talk about um, some of my favorite pictures, this is this is definitely right up there. William and Harry together, they were on tour in um, Southern Africa and they finished in in Lesotho so we were traveling from South Africa into the kingdom of Lesotho and for some reason I don't remember we didn't fly into Lesotho we were traveling I think it was from Joburg and we had to get we had to get a bus rather than get a flight whatever arrangements were, were put onto us we had to get a really really long bus journey and it was about a nine hour bus journey um our, our flight was late getting into Joburg and then we had to get on this nine hour bus journey which was overnight there was you know tiny little roads so no uh, road lights or anything like that um no phone reception bus driver didn't really seem to know how long it was gonna gonna take and we traveled oh, overnight oh. couldn't couldn't see a thing absolutely oh. shattered at the end of what was a very busy tour anyway um eventually we made it to the hotel at at 5 a.m and just as we got off we were told uh, we needed to go up a mountain because to to be there in time for William and Harry arriving. Um, so we got straight onto this, uh, just a small car uh, with a driver, as me and a couple of other photographers, and we were driven up um, through the mountains. And it was definitely one of the scariest trips I've ever been on <laughs> because there was no mm. no barriers on the side. Uh, I think we were we had been delayed, so we were a bit late, and this guy was just pelting it along trying to get us up there in time you know round every turn we weren't sure what we were going to meet we weren't sure we kept thinking we were going to go off the side of the mountain oh, and had absolutely no sleep which didn't help at all no. um but then we finally got to the the top of the mountains and sort of ran out with our camera gear and literally within five minutes in the distance and we weren't really given much uh, warning about this and we didn't know this was going to happen but we had William and Harry arriving on horseback in a distance riding over the mountains and they suddenly came into view and it was just I found a beautiful sight actually just these the two of them alone 
horses riding towards us in this absolutely stunning, stunning location. Um, and that's where I got this um, this particular picture. And it's just the two of them riding um, with very unusual gear, almost like sort of um, local traditional gear. And it's just such an unusual and beautiful um, scenario to to be able to photograph. And after the end of that journey, um, yeah, it made it all it worthwhile. All worth it, yeah. it all worthwhile. <laughs> you slept like quite a bit put, afterward. <laughs> they should put the Getty Royal Photographer requirements are like not claustrophobic, not scared of heights. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> okay with staying up overnight, 24 hours. Jeez, that is Well, that's the thing. There's always, it's, you know, there's always so much more that, that sometimes, especially when you're away and you're traveling that go, the things you go through to, to, to get the picture and um, that's often a big and a nice story in itself and there's there's lots of stories like that in the in the exhibition and I think people um, who are interested in the royals or interested in photography or anything like that it's 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 good to hear you know that side what went into to to getting that picture because it's 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 not always easy but it's, yeah. it's it's always it's always fascinating. I love the documentary style of this exhibit because I do wish that the Getty cam- image captions all came with this backstory. I feel like it would be you know so great to read it as we yeah. look at all of them. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, but but you sort of grew up alongside William and Harry as well. When your dad would take you to polo matches, you and your brother as he was photographing them. Do you have any favorite memories of those experiences, in particular of Diana, but also the boys? Yeah, well, the good thing. About- about going to the polo is it's it is just it is just so relaxed um when you're on the side you know children it's very it's a big family affair so my dad would take us and just be with my mum we would have a picnic while he was taking pictures and we were kind of laid back about it you know the royals would sort of would, would sort of be around and you know William and Harry might be you know just just yards from us or there's a, actually a great picture in the exhibition um of my brother who must have been sort of about seven or eight at the time. And it was, I think, at the polo and the, the, the Queen was there. And my brother just sort of wandered up to him. He had like a, just a small little camera and stood right next to her. And my dad got these, got these pictures of her. And it's just a great picture of him with his, with his little, uh, probably his first ever little film camera, um, only seven or eight. And he stood literally right next to her because it's just, it's just so relaxed you know there wow. and, uh, yeah I hope so, he has that frame that's so cool to have that, that I mean so what neat. a childhood experience. yeah well, we dug it we kind of forgotten about it we dug it up for the exhibition so that that sort of that's sort of featured that's one of the pictures there's some pictures of of us and uh you know on on jobs and stuff and um out in out in the field and with the roles and stuff and that's one of the ones that that features but um yeah so from a from a young age really we used to go to the polo and it was very easy for our family my dad would be off taking pictures of the roles and we'd just sort of be on the side so we're quite used to to seeing diana and the and the kids sort of being around on the side of a polo pitch Mm, I love it. Yeah, that's so, I mean, up close and personal for many reasons for work, but also just to be in that sort of general ether of so close to them. Yeah. And I think, I think it actually helped sort of when I did start taking pictures of them is, it's just like, you're kind of used to being in their, in their presence, you know? Mm -hmm. So when we did, you know, weren't too phased when, when you were up close and personal. You're saying you don't get starstruck anymore. (laughs) Well. Well. (laughs) Um, All right. Well, we're switching gears just for a second. We wanted to ask about Prince Charles's Christmas card because we know you shot that photo. And we were so excited when we saw it. We were so excited. Thank you. 
such an incredible photograph and for the time that we're in and the context of everything. It's just, it felt so, I don't know, meaningful. So we want to ask, did you know ahead of time that he would be selecting your photo for the Christmas card? No, I didn't know. And it was a big, um, it was a big surprise, really. I mean, it's not the kind of picture you'd normally think would make um, a Christmas card. So I got a phone call a month or so before from from their team um, asking for permission to use the picture for their, for their um, for their Christmas card. So it came as a it came as a real big surprise, and yeah, I was quite surprised the picture they 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 chose. But obviously, yeah absolutely With delighted the that they that they chose it and I think yeah it's, it's quite an unusual one to, to choose for um, a Christmas card but I think it's quite apt with you know Covid being such a big part of of all our lives over the past year or two so I think it was quite quite humorous and quite a, a sweet moment so it, yeah it's really nice when they when I heard that they had selected that for the for the Christmas card and yeah, got a card from them in the post, so it was all, oh, nice. it was all great. Yeah, oh, that's such that's an honor. Nice. Yeah, it felt very relatable. We're all like, yeah. we are all that photo right now, <laughs> putting, yeah. totally, helping each other put our masks on. Yeah. We all yeah. know that only too well. Yeah. So, did you get a lot of feedback from fans, or what was? Tell us about like the reaction of that, because I mean, they tagged you in the caption and everything. It was really cool. Yeah, a really good re- reaction from um, on on social media and stuff. I mean, it's always you know, nice when they name check you and they've, you know, they've personally chosen your picture, you know, it's a really big honor. So it was great. And yeah, had all sorts, I mean, vast majority of people saying, oh, what a, what a great choice. And congratulations. Some people thinking it was a little bit of a bizarre choice, but you know, that's, (laughs) you know, it is slightly unusual, I think maybe for, for a Chris card, maybe a bit different, but um, no, the reaction has been, been really good and obviously helps, you know, your profile and, and everything like that when they, they handpick one of your images. So that's, yeah, that's a real honor. Amazing. An amazing Christmas gift. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the internet for yeah. you too. You'll get every range of reaction. Of course, yeah. Of course. yeah. <laughs> you can't avoid it, but definitely. Awesome. But looking forward, the Royals in 2022, we have so much to look forward to. We want to know what is on your calendar. You have to spill and tell us anything you're slated to cover. And are you going to be at the Jubilee? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, I think looking at the year ahead, I think it's going to be a re- I'm, well, I'm hoping that COVID's going to be okay. So we're going to have like a pretty much a full calendar of events, which of course we haven't had for the last two years. I think, yeah, the the real standout event is definitely the Jubilee and I'll, I'll definitely be part of that. Or if it's all, all goes ahead as, as we hope. I mean, we've got uh Troop in the Colour, which, which coincides with that, which is obviously a huge event. We haven't had that for been able to have that properly um i know we really miss it we need it back it's like a hole in our royal lives (laughs) definitely we need that balcony appearance and Uh all the children and the whole family on there on the balcony so that's really looking forward to that um i think the jubilee is going to be going to be amazing um that's definitely were you at the diamond jubilee or yeah yeah. What was I mean we obviously weren't there is it I mean it was it had to have been just once in a lifetime and now we get it I can't believe it's now 70 years yeah I know it's crazy how quickly it's all come around yeah it's just like a huge you know the whole nation comes together there's it, it, all over the country there's there's the street parties there's I mean I guess there's so much that you don't actually see that um people just see it as a great excuse for for parties and everybody stops what they're doing and I think even if you're into the rules or not there's just um you know everyone it's in the middle of the summer so hopefully the weather will be good and everyone's just out on the streets having all these parties and it's just a great time for people to come together and I think this will be this will be particularly special after 
Prince Philip dying last year, and then um, it'd be very, you know, significant. And then also with, with with everything that we've been through with COVID, and if hopefully, fingers crossed, we can all be, you know, we can get big crowds together outside. And I think it'd just be a great, joyous event. So, yeah. It seems like this year they're gearing up for so much in on top of the Jubilee, like Royal Tours, maybe getting mm. back to travel, red carpet. Yes. I don't know if you have anything on the calendar yet, but Well not yet, but I think I think I think everyone's just waiting to see what's gonna happen with, with travel and COVID, but hopefully we're right. moving in the right direction. But I think totally. other than the Jubilee, I that's what I'm really looking forward to the most on a personal note is is getting back to some of these these uh, exciting royal tours and, and I know um, Charles and Camilla went to sort of Egypt um, end of end of last year I wasn't able to go unfortunately because we were just having a baby but I, I, what I'm re- really hoping is for a nice big William and Kate tour to somewhere somewhere exciting because yes. um, they haven't been away for, for I think for so long now since I know. 2009 just just a few sort of trips to Ireland or, and, and stuff like that and but Scotland, yeah yeah that's that's what I'm hoping for and really looking forward to is a nice big tour tour of them you know for a couple of weeks that can um yeah that would be amazing so us too us too we can't wait well we'll be following along and Samir thank you so much for joining us we wanted to say again that Princess Diana accredited access exhibition is now open in LA and Chicago new york anytime soon do we have any updates there it's coming soon i think we'll have an announcement for you hopefully uh pretty soon but i definitely yes. keep you keep you all keep you all posted we'll be waiting at ho- the door we're very excited yeah, I can't, can't wait for you to see it properly so we we'll definitely have to get you there down there as soon as it as soon as it happens and then we're hoping it's going to go on tour um elsewhere after that as well so um yeah oh amazing well congrats again to your whole family on this it's very exciting and so deserved thank you very much. much thanks a lot always good to catch up with Samir. All right. Now, before we adjourn the Royal Pod, here are our highs and lows. It's time for the Royal Highs and Lows. My low is this Bot Sentinel full report. Yeah. So this final report, it's a it's the third in a series of reports from Chris Boozy, who's head of Bot Sentinel. And it basically unveils that there is this massive $3.5 million industry around Meghan Markle hate accounts. And obviously not you or I are participating in this, but there are definitely a lot of people that are. And they're just these accounts, this a report found, this focuses on YouTube, this section of the report. So it's says they're disseminating conspiracy theories about Megan, vitriol, misogynistic, derogatory, and racial slurs. Just horrible, horrible stuff. Like, are her kids her own? Did she really, was she really pregnant? All of these awful, awful things. I mean, that's not even scratching the surface of it. So definitely violating YouTube and Twitter policies here. But the, these people that are running the accounts, and there's three core accounts that have made five hundred, at least 500000 dollars half a million dollars on the kind of revenue that they get from because youtube has this cost payment structure where they get views and they get paid so 
these three core accounts making so much money off spreading hate. And they have found, this report found that they were actually kind of collaborating at the beginning saying like, you view mine, I'll view yours, you promote mine, I'll promote yours in order to generate more and more. And Chris Boozy, the CEO of this company said, I do believe Meghan Markle and Prince Harry need to start suing because this report has been out. These social media companies haven't taken any action. There's, you know, grounds for litigation here. So... It's just wild. awful stuff. Awful, I mean, awful. even this week I got, I, I guess it's from what we talked about last week, but I got some sort of hateful DMs about our conversations about Harry and security and things like that, where the, where people were sending me like word docs of just like misinformation and all all targeting me. I'm just like blown, a- blown away. And I, I think just some of our, something definitely needs to be done with all of this. Like a good point that Chris made was that these accounts could be fan accounts for Kate and William or the Cambridges or anyone else in the royal family, but they choose to be hate accounts. And I think that's where it's really, it's so, like, that's the point of them is to spread hate. And that's what's really upsetting. And it's not bots. It's definitely real people. The usernames are in the report. I think the biggest one is called Yankee Wally. And they have the ages of these people. And it's not like how we saw in the election and Russia's interference where there was troll farms. Like these are just people in their homes putting together these like lo-fi videos. And it's so it's, and it's very disturbing. Something needs to happen. I know something needs to happen. These Social media accounts need to take action as well because this is definitely violating their policy. So moving on. On a totally different note, Milo is the Prince Andrew teddy bear story. I mean, my goodness, Roberta. Uh, Charlotte Briggs, a maid who worked at Buckingham Palace in the 90s, apparently told The Sun that he had 72 teddy bears from around the world. She had a day-long training about the expected setup for them. There were diagrams with locations. Small bears were um, in piles by the fireplace. Uh, Two favorites of his were set every night on mahogany thrones next to his bedside. That is so creepy and weird. And I think one of them was named Prince. Like, ew, why are you channeling yourself into this bear? Shout and scream and have a total breakdown if they were out of place. Doesn't this feel even more creepier in light of the f- the news we got like last year that he used a puppet to grope people yes. at Epstein's mansion? <laughs> yes. Like what? His fascination with like toys and stuff is okay. When I dug into this and he was like getting the bears from locations he had visited during his service in the Royal Navy, I was like, oh, that's kind of cool and not expected at all. Like, yeah, clever little like I try to collect magnets from places I've been or like, you know, people do shot glasses or whatever it is. But then it's like he's so anal about these bears and where they are in his room. Like, it, he doesn't he scream at people if yeah. they're out of place? Yeah. So, <laughs> palace bullying. Talk about it, you know? <laughs> Someone needs to play uh, like with the pun of like barely legal or something. You are the gross. queen of puns. Like, I just want you to write all my copy for life because I just <laughs> feel like you are gifted at it. I just feel like some people hate puns and they probably like don't listen to us anymore because I, I use puns for all the time. Okay, my high this week is the news that we got that the Sussexes are trademarking new things. And I just like the fact that these names have such the company names they've trademarked have such, you know, intricate meaning to them. And I think it's really interesting. So they've trademarked so far 13 companies in Delaware. 
Megan's longtime business manager, Andrew Meyer, and lawyer, Richard Ganau, are the ones filing the trademarks. One is called, the company is called Cloverdale Inc., and it's an entertainment company. Mm. Maybe something to do with the Netflix stuff they're working on, but Cloverdale is the name of the street Megan grew up on. There's also Pika Publishing, which is the Spanish word for freckle. I thought that was really sweet. Holds the rights to the bench, which Megan published last year. Orinoco holds the rights to Harry's memoir. This is what I had to do a deep dive on. Orinoco Flow is a song by Enya, the Irish singer-songwriter. In 2017, Harry gave an interview to ITV that said his mom, Diana, Princess Diana, was obsessed with Enya. So there's a connection there that I had to really deep dive and find out. That's his memoir coming up next year. Of course it has something to do with his mother because we know he's going to talk a lot about Diana in the memoir. So Very exciting. Oh, my gosh. All right. My high is the queen is officially at Sandringham. She arrived there on Sunday. She's... There's a motorcycle. This is a bad day for traffic. Uh, <laughs> she arrived on Sunday. So she's staying there through Ascension Day. It's a place that she prefers to be as she reflects on her father's passing. And she actually is pretty quiet about it. You know, she likes to kind of have it be low key. So I thought it was interesting because she's not staying at the main house. She's staying at Wood Farm, which was modified after Philip retired in 2017. Um, And I, I, this line that I read in one of these pieces about her preference to be there, but she really doesn't have to be a monarch at this place. She can be Mm. more relaxed and I don't know. I just think it's really special that she's there. And I think for me, all week I've, you know, been in different meetings or even just talking to you. And I think that the gravity of February 6th, I just, I hope she really, you know, either raises a glass. I know she's not supposed to be drinking that much anymore, but it's just, it's incredible. This is, this has never happened before, 70 years on the throne. And I just, yeah, I really am grateful. It's got to be, but I think it's such a sad day for her. You oh, know, of like course, it really yeah. is so sad that her dad passed away. So I think that, that it's probably somber. And I read that she leaves her decoration, her Christmas decorations up till that day in honor of her father, which I was like, yeah, it's sad. That's the perfect excuse to be really lazy about putting Christmas decorations away. For me, I'm going to be like, I copy the queen. I leave them up. They're still up. (laughs) It's just such an excuse to use, but it is like, it's a really somber moment. And I think especially being at Wood Farm where there's so many memories of Philip, like that was his, that was his home when they were in the countryside. So I think it's probably, you know, having that on top of her father's passing has got to be um, a really difficult time for Her Majesty. So, yeah. But there, that will kick off the excitement of the Jubilee. So that's yeah. really exciting that there's going to be so many events now. All right. Just a reminder before we close, leave us a royal rating. This one says, I love, love listening to this show. Rachel and Roberta seem to have genuine friendship, which is a delight. Obviously, I love the content, and this podcast is really the only way I get my royal news. Also, their voices are super nice and easy to listen to. I've been a fan since the beginning, and I'll be here till the end. No Aww. end in sight. So thank That's you. so for that. nice. Oh, my gosh. Our genuine friendship because we match. In <laughs> I mean, we don't even need to talk. Matching We're so in sync, Roberta. It is an honor to do this with you always. I wish someone could see it. Maybe we'll take a screenshot. All right. Reminder to subscribe. Follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast. Email us, please, please, please. Info at gallerypodcast.com. We want to hear from you. Instead of sending Rachel a word doc, just email us. We love to hear from you. <laughs> Till next week. God, God save, save the, the pod. Her Majesties of Royally Obsessed have retired for this episode. God save the pod. And if you fancy the podcast, give Royally Obsessed the royal rating of five stars on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast and join our Facebook group, Royally Obsessed. 
Royally Obsessed is a Gallery Podcast production.